and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, who are known today as the Stockbridge Muncie community. I'm Andrea Cunliffe. And I'm Jacob Boston. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with Mark Dunley's report on hunger and on the increased demand on food pantries. Then, Sina Bazila Hickey spoke with the anonymous activist group Nerds Against Norlight. Later on, I spoke with Uncle Mac about Choice Central Little League's impact on the community. After that, we hear Willie Terry's report from the Black Expo, and he profiled the vendor's great ex-Bakedations Bakery and Lift Fit. Finally, we follow Andrea to the Choi Farmer's Market for more local vendor suggestions. But first, here are the headlines. Advocates gathered at the Capitol on Thursday for World's AIDS Day to call on policymakers to prioritize funding for permanent supportive housing for people living with HIV across the state. They're seeking $10 million in state funding for social service districts to implement various reforms that have been enacted but are presently voluntary. An estimated 11,000 retired, uh, an estimated 11,000 retired Teamsters across upstate New York will see a hike in their pensions starting January 1st. A $963 million federal grant will restore the cuts made to their monthly pension checks back in October 2017. Some will get as much as an extra $1,000 per month. The Schenectady City Council held a forum this week on the issue of rent for apartments. The council has been considering the possibility of a rent stabilization measure. Schenectady Board of Education member Jamaica Miles noted that rent prices are currently increasing at a faster rate than wages. Rents in Schenectady County have increased by 9.8% since 2019, bringing the average monthly rent to $1,300. The Gazette reports that the village of Scotia found elevated levels of lead in some drinking water samples. The Federal Environmental Protection Agency requires the public to be informed if the level of lead is above 15 parts per billion. The village found samples at 17 parts. Exposure to lead presents significant health risks, especially for pregnant women and young children. While the official unemployment rate in the Capital District is slightly above 2%, a number of sectors, especially hospitality and health care, are still struggling to fill positions. Unemployment also runs a little higher in the area's cities. The Supreme Court on Thursday refused an emergency appeal to immediately revive President Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness plan, but agreed to rule early next year on its legality. That's it for the headlines. And first up, for those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listening-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org, email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org, or call 518-272-2390. 
The food pantries for the Capital District reports that 83% of their 70-member feeding programs report an increase in demand. Now various extra benefits provided during COVID are ending. Natasha Panika, the group's executive director, discusses what help is needed, starting at the federal level, as well as the need for living wages. Mark Dunley reports. We're joined by Natasha Panika, who is the executive director of food pantries for the Capital District. And, you know, while we all tend to pay a little bit more attention to the issue of of, of hunger uh, during the holiday seasons, hunger, unfortunately, is a 365-day-a-year problem. And there was a recent article that highlighted some of the growing demands for uh, supplemental food, emergency food in the Capital District, particularly as the... Uh, various relief programs on COVID begin to to run out. So, so Natasha, what 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 has been happening uh, at the the food pantries throughout the capital district? Great, thanks, Mark, and thanks for inviting me on for this important conversation. You know, during the pandemic, there were a lot of federal assistance programs, state programs stepping in to help um, people who were struggling. And those child tax credits have ended. The SNAP increases, honestly, at this point are irrelevant because of inflation. And there are so many people struggling to make ends meet now that really never have before. Um, While at the same time, uh, food pantries are also struggling to keep up with needs. You know, inflation is not just impacting individuals, but nonprofit organizations are also struggling with the increase prices in gas, food, and all of the other impacts of inflation as well. So what we are seeing in the capital region uh, in New York is that 80% of the food pantries in our coalition of 70 are experiencing increased levels. Uh, When we recently surveyed them, 50% of our food pantry coalition members are really worried about having enough financial resources to make ends meet through the end of the, this busy holiday season. Now, one of the um, you know issues is that most food pantries rely very heavily on volunteers, and a lot of the volunteers are, are elderly, and I, I imagine they may have been a little bit uh, reluctant, especially during the early days of COVID, uh, to be getting out in the, the public. Uh, has that changed? Has, has COVID become more normalized, or yeah? Uh, I assume you still always need more volunteers? Yeah, I mean, we can use volunteers. The, the The volunteers that are most needed in the food pantry system are regular volunteers who dedicate, you know, once a week, once a month, like regular people who actually perform like a task, an operational task. Um, some of the things that we are in need of now are people to do the home deliveries of pantry groceries. Uh, resources for home delivery has really dried up and kind of going back back pre-pandemic to relying on volunteers to do that. Um, one of the struggles is we're really trying to increase access to food pantry services and transportation and people with you know, um, disabilities who are not able to access a pantry in person really need that delivery service. So, um, you know, we want to be able to provide a consistent service, which helps when you have paid staff to do it. But if there are people out there who would like to dedicate time ongoing to do volunteer work, 
The other thing that I really is tough is most people don't realize that most of the food that pantries distribute, they actually pay for. And a pantry's dollar goes a lot farther than you if you want to do a food drive. Like food drives are great, but pantries also need money. And so um, if you're doing okay right now and you can donate uh, to food pantries, you can find a local pantry throughout the state of New York on our map, the foodpantries.org. We have a food pantry map. So if you want to help your neighborhood pantry, you can find one on there. Or you can help uh, the food pantries for the Capital District, which helps a coalition of 70 food pantries as well. The money makes a direct impact to helping over 50,000 people get enough food for more than 2 million meals every year. Uh, it's very needed. Can you talk maybe a little bit about the demographics of who you know, you're you know, feeding? I know in the past that you know, maybe half of the guests, you know, at least getting food, you know, were children, but there was also a pretty high percentage of um, the, the working poor people have jobs, not making enough meat. Uh, ha has that been changing over time? You know, there are a lot of people who are working who just aren't making enough money um, and, and rely on food pantries. I was actually doing a presentation recently for a company talking about our organization and the administrative assistant came up to me after the presentation and said, you know, Natasha, thank you so much for raising awareness. She's like, since inflation, I actually have to use a food pantry to make ends meet too. And she was like, thank you so much for the work that you do in the community. And I, you know, whenever people say, Natasha, how do we end hunger? Number one, it's living wages. People are falling so far behind in wages. Um, if you are an employer or someone in a decision-making opinion, please, please focus on living wages for, for your employees. Now, you mentioned earlier the uh, SNAP program, uh, you know, used to be known more as the uh, food stamp program. But, you know, are there things that uh, the anti-hunger programs are looking to the state, federal, or even, I guess, county governments uh, to be stepping up the plate on in terms of trying to deal with hunger and, and helping people with food? Yeah, I mean, New York State is really ahead of the game as far as coordinating all of the different state agencies along with the nonprofit partners that are really trying to work on solutions um, for a hunger-free New York. You know, we've got a lot of work to go, and it's really hard to you know, push on the federal government. I think that honestly, we have federal solutions that work, that if the federal government would just increase SNAP benefits, increase access to SNAP, um, I feel that we should mandate that any online grocery should be able to accept SNAP and WIC. And anyone who purchases groceries using SNAP and WIC online should have supplemental provided by the federal government to provide free home delivery. Um, I think that right there is the most dignified way um, to end hunger. It's because people can have choice in the groceries and you uh, take away the access problem. But while we're waiting and pushing on federal government to make uh, important changes, we have to make sure that people don't go hungry tonight. And that's why food pantries are so important. And we need to make sure that their shelves are stocked with a variety and quantity of nutritious food to help people make ends meet in the meantime.
quickly review some of the other services that uh, the food pantries of the capital tissue provide looking quickly at your website i think you also had some programs particularly trying to target like uh infants and young children sure um we are a part of the national diaper bank network we provide free formula and diapers through our coalition of food pantries um, we also work with groups to do personal hygiene products feminine hygiene products and we have a food as medicine program um, as we're working on sustainable funding through Medicaid um, for people who are struggling with um, diabetes, obesity, hypertension, um, to prescribe medically tailored meals and medically tailored groceries, um, along with uh, nutritional counseling and therapy. So, um, you know, we're we're looking at a lot of different ways to to help people um, and you know, SNAP doesn't cover diapers and personal hygiene products. And, and so those items are expensive as well. So distributing them through the food pantry system can also help people. Now, you mentioned earlier that, you know, obviously people appreciate volunteers on Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, but the reality is you're looking for volunteers, you know, on an ongoing regular basis. Um, so in the last minute, you know, if people want to help out either by volunteering or make a donation, how, how best to get in contact with their local food pantries? Yeah, the best way is to go to our website. It's thefoodpantries.org. Um, they, they can get involved through our website locally here in the capital region of New York, but we also have a map on our website that has food pantries and community meal programs across the entire state. So um, no matter where you live in New York, we've got resources that you can find. The other thing is if you are struggling right now and could really use some extra help, know that food pantries are not income-based, they're need-based. So if you make $10 a, mo a month too much to qualify for SNAP, you can still get assistance from a food pantry. So go to thefoodpantries.org to find resources, or also if you're doing okay right now and can help our community, we really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, uh, Natasha Pernicka of Food Pantry City Capital District. And this has been Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. For more stories on food pantries, food justice, and living wages, go to our website, mediasanctuary.org. Nerds Against Norlight are telling the truth that Norlight, AGG, won't say themselves. This activist group made up of anonymous students from RPI uses Twitter as its medium. Hudson Mohawk Magazine's Sina Basilehiki spoke with one of its members, George Ferris, about their ideology and methods. The capital region has been raising awareness around Norlight, the aggregate facility in Cohoes, New York, from which fine silica dust blows off and into the surrounding area for many years. Exposure to this dust can cause serious health risks. The latest group to call Norlight to task is Nerds Against Norlight, which uses Twitter as its platform. This group wants to remain anonymous, but I have one of the members on the phone with me right now. Welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. It's a pleasure to be here. What can you tell us about Nerds Against Norlight? So we're just a, a student group, a bunch of students in various majors. Many of us haven't even had experience with activism before this, but when we learned about the 
things that Norlight's been doing, we felt like we had to act. We had to do something. And we felt like this was the best way that we could. And how did you learn about Norlight? Are you from the area? Did you learn about it through newspapers or through uh, studies? It was, it was word of mouth mostly. Um, it started out when one of the folk on our team learned about the work that David Bond and his team at Bennington had done. From there, it's the kind of story that when you hear about it, it doesn't seem real, right? It seems like a shale aggregate plant poisoning a city from the heart of it, from, from downtown. It doesn't seem possible. So we did a lot more research into it, and everything we found just made it worse and worse. And we felt like we needed to act. I wonder where that comes from, this idea that our world is not filled with facilities of this sort. Do you feel like, who has the power around narratives that we feel like facilities like this no longer exist? Well, I mean, I feel like Norlight has made a very concerted effort to try to make sure that it doesn't seem like that's what they're doing. They don't mention toxic waste disposal anywhere on their community page or their website. They don't talk about the adverse effects or the many uh, EPA violations that they've come to task over in recent years. They mostly control their brand perception and their pay folks very well to do that. So we figured that since they didn't have a Twitter account, we'd make one for them and we'd help them with their brand perceptions honestly. Let's go more into that. How are you acting? You said you needed to act. So how do you do that? Well, we noticed that they didn't have a Twitter account. We, we saw that they had a really kind of lacking web presence. And coming from RPI, we had a set of skills that was suitable to build them something like that. So we made a Twitter account, we filled it with tweets, we made a website, and we filled it with the truth. And we used their name because they're not going to say it, but it's what needs to be said. It's what's right. And we figured that if we could entertain people along the way, we could make the message spread a little bit farther, maybe make some people who've been in a really rough position because of Norlight's actions have a laugh or two. So what reactions have you been getting? I know that the Norlight facility has tried to counteract the work that you're doing. Yeah, what actions have taken place since this Twitter account has gained some, uh, some momentum? Well, it really was kind of surprising how long it took for Norlight to realize that we had made a Twitter account for them. Eventually they did, and they posted a notice of impersonation on their website, which I thought was absolutely adorable, because we linked to their website on the Twitter account. They have said that they've tried to remove us from Twitter. They haven't reached out to us on any platforms through any communication channels. We've made that information very public, and they haven't given us any response there. But they have since spun up their own Twitter account using the same logo treatment that we did for theirs, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> so the platform of Twitter, 
why is this a tool for activism? And with Elon Musk now overseeing the platform, is the efficacy changing? We actually uh, did some research into the platform as well when we were getting started. And Twitter was originally a tool for activists. It was designed to have short messages that were easily relayed and nearly impossible to suppress. And in that way, it still does its job really well. Uh, I think that it will exist in some capacity for as long as there is a need. It might not be called Twitter, and it might not be run by Elon Musk, but something like it will always be around. Do you consider the work that you're doing performance art or artistic activism? From the beginning, we were trying to make sure that what we were doing was trying to raise awareness more than trying to center it on ourselves. We were trying to build up something that felt like it was for Norlight as opposed to for us. We're going more after artistic activism than performance art, but mostly because we're just, we're just a bunch of students. We're just trying to give people a laugh and raise awareness about a serious problem. <laughs> Why is laughter an effective tool in activism? Oh, it, it's, it's the cognitive dissonance. It's the moment of, wait a second, what? It's the moment where you see a tweet from a lightweight shale aggregate that is just 28 copies of the capital letter A. And you say, that's not real, is it? <laughs> and that moment, that moment of, of wait a minute, what, what are you doing? That moment is beautiful because in that moment, people can realize mistakes or make changes. People can see something differently. They have to. And that's what we're trying to go after. Where does some of the inspiration for Nerds Against Norlight come from? Uh, are there other examples of this type of activism that you look to for inspiration? Absolutely. Uh, this is a kind of activism that has a very storied history. We've watched several documentaries as a group. We've seen several spoof websites and different political actions following this vein. But really the biggest inspiration for us was the group Lights Out Norlight, seeing the people on the ground making the difference in person, risking whatever retaliation Norlight could levy against them. This is a company that has seriously injured people just for living too close. And a lot of us were worried about what they'd do if we kicked the hornet's nest. But it was really inspiring to see the work that Lightjab Norlight has been doing in the face of that. So what do you want to see from here, from the people who live in the area, from our government officials, from Norlight? Do you have an objective? I think mostly what we were just trying to do was raise a little bit of awareness and give people a laugh. I think we've succeeded at both, at least to a certain extent. Although our, our wildest dream was that someone from Norlight would take notice of it and respond to us. And that happened several times. They actually, they actually brought out uh, a representative to discuss just how fake this was and how they'd reported us to Twitter because it was obviously fake. And it was, it was a delightful read. <laughs> but 
really the goal here was just to tell people about it in a way that we thought would carry. So nerds against Norlate are on Twitter primarily, or um, can you give us your Twitter account so listeners can follow along? And are there other ways to follow along with the work that you're doing? Absolutely. Uh, we are on Twitter at Norlite AGG, uh, which is Norlite's real company name. We're also available at Norlite.community. Thank you so much for joining us on Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you very much for having me. And as a member of Lights Out Norlite, I can say that we appreciate all efforts to bring attention to the health issues that result from Norlite dust. And Appreciate the creative way Nerds Against Norlight approached these difficult issues. We have many segments on our website regarding Norlight at mediasanctuary.com. And for those of you just tuning in, I'm Andrea Cunliffe. And I'm Jacob Boston. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Choi. W-O-O-G-L-P, 92.7 FM Choi, W-O-O-S-L-P, 98.9 FM Schenectady, and W-O-O-A-L-P, 106.9 FM Choi, I mean, FM Albany, and also streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Choi, New York. And next up, Uncle Mac talks with Hudson Mohawk Magazine producer Jacob Boston about how Troy Central Little League and other sports teams have positively impacted his community in North Central Troy. All right, I'm Jacob Boston, and I'm here with... Matt Henderson. What is your role in sports in this community? I am the Troy Central Little League president. We also have a special guest. I'm here with my brother, um, upcoming intern maybe, to the sanctuary. You want to tell us your name? Jalen Boston. Uh, you're in what grade are you when you're still in school? Yes, 12th grade. Troy High, right? Yes. All right, cool. He's going to be listening to us. So, Mac, um, how long have you been involved with this team? I've been involved with the Little League. Years now, I've been uh, I've been at Choice Central Little Leagues. First time around was '85. This time around was 2003 or 2000, 2005. But I believe it was 2003. No, it was 2005. I've been there since 2005 and still there. And what has been your favorite part of being involved with this team up to this point? Yeah, uh, you don't want to ask me that question. <laughs> I can't, yo, yo. I can't say that because every year has been good. Uh, we have we have so many good players go through through Choice Central Little League, and it's amazing how many of them are doing great things right now. You know, we have a few that are doing some awesome stuff out here. You know, they got jobs. Some of them came back to even help coach. Some a lot of them went to college, which I'm very proud of. That the ones that did go to college, even the ones that didn't go to college, are still proud of them because they became fathers at a young age and they uh, they're working to uh, to provide for their family. But 
you said uh, something about uh, high school. Yeah. I do coach high school. Oh, what high school do you coach at? I coach at Rensselaer High School. How long you been coaching there? Oh, man, uh, about about 20 or better. So you've been there a while. You've seen a lot, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, hopefully a lot of ups. I mean, as a Troy, as a Troy High baseball fan, I heard about you guys. So I don't know what that means, but hey. Wait a minute. I played on the Troy High baseball team. Oh, so you're a Hall of Famer. I played on the Troy High baseball team and the football team. And I ran track for Troy And I was nasty in basketball. Okay, so you, you would just you'd do it all. You're Superman. You were just... I was just an athlete that just loved to have fun. Yeah. And speaking of having fun, I've talked about how I kind of appreciate how there's a team for the community. What positive impacts do you think the Little League that you've been a part of and your time coaching at Rensselaer, how do you think that time has positively impacted the community? Well, first of all, I teach at the, uh, at the Little League. I teach sports, but also teach life. And I just don't teach, uh, teach life. I teach honesty, respect, and uh, integrity. I, I, I teach them everything that goes along with the game, but the first thing is learning how to be a teammate, a team player. So, so you got to teach respect first. And they get it quick because uh, they want to play. These kids do want to play. They want to not just play baseball. We in a community where, uh, where they want to take a challenge on everything, baseball, football, basketball. And we got all different, all these different programs. We all connected as one. Right now, right here in the North Central area, we have a, we have a core of great kids in this community, great athletes. Some of them little need, some of them need a little polishing, but the rest of them that have got it, the next coach to get them in the middle school, and uh, as they go on progress on the high school, you will hear about them from out of North Central especially baseball, the ones who do play baseball for high school. A lot of them don't, don't want to take the chance to, uh, to try out for the team. I don't know why, but they end up playing uh, football, basketball, and they end up doing great things for, for the uh, flying horses. That's who you guys are. I was a Trojan. Y'all was a fool of the horses. So that's what that is. I, I've, when I've been looking up like pictures of images of Choi High, Mm -hmm. I always see the Trojans. I'm like, who are they? But that was you guys. That's kind of right. that's a tidbit that maybe some of our listeners didn't know. You just put us on game right there. They changed that name, I think, in '79 or '80 or '81. They changed it to the Flying Horses. Do you know the bonfire, the homecoming games? We used to come out with a horse. Oh, really? Yeah, we used to come out with a horse. It called it was called the Trojan Horse, and I, you know, like the. Uh, the Romans, we come out like that. We had one that had the helmet on, the shield, and the sword, and everything. But you know, Troy High has inherited a lot of players from Troy Central Little League baseball team. When they won in 1977, when, when they won the championship, there was seven players on that team from Troy High, on that team from Troy Central Little League. Seven players. And next week, 
the fourth the thirteenth of this month, we have a Troy Central Little League player who played before me being inducted into Baseball Hall of Fame. Mm, really who um why why don't you tell our listeners who that is? That is David Bessel, known to everybody as Mooney. He is going to be inducted November 13th into Baseball Hall of Fame. And that's an honor and a privilege to carry that title. I'm a Hall of Famer. Um, you've talked about a lot of, you, you talked about how you teach the kids that play a lot of things outside of baseball. What are some of the specific lessons you teach them about just life in general and how to be a positive impact on the community after Little League? First thing, first thing is, uh, is, is to know, is learn how to handle yourself through uh, adversity. You know, you know, if you be confronted by, uh, by something that don't mean really nothing, you don't have to lose your character. The first thing you do is you breathe. The second thing you do is you look at the situation and then the third thing you do, you act. And your action is what's going to determine how, this is going to, how the outcome is going to be. I was telling the best action is to take, is to shake hands, walk away, and live for another day. That's the best action. Because kindness will always take down weakness. And most of these, and most of these uh, situations come from a weak point. There's no value in the situation. And the next thing that I teach them is character. It's who you are. First thing, you got to dress appropriately. Don't walk around the little league or walk around the town with your pants hanging down and, uh, and throwing up these hands and talking all this stuff. That, that builds a different character of you. So if you walk around with your pants up and you're smiling, now, now you are seen as a different, as a different person in the community. So nobody's gonna look at you and say, you know, look at that young man or that young lady, that young lady or a young man that got his pants down. Look at her, she acting wild and stuff like that. These are the things that we teach at the little league that it's not good for you to present. Don't present yourself that way. It's your character. And the last and most important thing is. We teach, like I told you already, education. We are involved with school too. We have partnerships with the Sanctuary, Team Hero, Troy Look, who has a bully program. Team Hero that has a, a program that takes the kids out and they show them different things and how to uh, how to recognize their own opportunities in uh, in society. So there's so much that we work with. So there's a lot of teaching that goes on before you become an athlete. So you're a student, and then after that, you're an athlete. And it's the same model in school. You're a student athlete first. You're a student first, then you're an athlete. The same thing we do here. You're a student first, then you're an athlete. But uh, our teaching is different than your curriculum in school. Ours is a life teaching. The school gives you an education of math, English, Spanish, history. We could do the same thing, but that's not going to help them why they're trying to survive out here. And there you're in a, in a enclosed. Out here you are in the open. So we teach we teach a lot of us a lot of good stuff. And lastly, 
what are some of the impacts you hope to have on this community and the people who play for your team in the future? Impact's already here. The impact just got to stay stable. It's got to stay where it's at. The future is you. And you. That's where the future's at. Is you. What you're doing with me right now and what you're doing with your brother right now is something that needs to be done on a daily basis out here with the other ones. As you see them, afraid of them or not, approach them. Yo, what's up? How you doing? Shake your hand. Yo, can I, can, I, can I do an interview with you? Do you just see how far that goes? Because you know what? They have something to tell you too. That was part of an ongoing series about sports impact the community. <clears throat> if you have an example of how sports have had a positive impact on your community, contact us via, via our email, hmm at mediasanctuary.org. On Saturday, November 19th, 2022, Hudson Mohawk roaming labor correspondents, Willie Terry, attended the Capital New York State Black Expo 2022 event at the FVP Arena in Albany. Yo, this is Willie Terry, your labor correspondent for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, and I'm down here at the MVP Arena in Albany where they're having the Black Expo. In the arena, they have a, a large contingency of businesses that are showing their wear. And uh, I have as my guest uh, one of the vendors, Cheyenne Simmons. And how you doing, Cheyenne? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here. So, Cheyenne, tell me something about your business and how you got started. So, my business is called Great X Baketations Bakery. I specialize in what I call booze-infused bunt cakes, but I also make vegan cakes, cakes that do not have any booze in them, and some other treats. And I've been doing this full-time for about three years now. So what inspired you to get into this, though? Was it family or...? So I've always loved baking, but I would say that my biggest motivation was myself because I've been complaining for years that I didn't want to work for anyone else. And so the I was between jobs and the opportunity came for me to just go ahead and take the plunge and work for myself. So I tried it and I'm still here doing it and loving it. So this is your full-time job? Yes, that's right. Yes. Now, where are you located? I'm Albany-based. Um, I operate via a website, greatxbaketationsbakery.com. Um, I'm also in two local stores, so the store Her Love Collections has a location on on River Street in Troy and also in Crossgates currently. And then I do other local events and pop-ups like this one. So, Sam, tell me something about the cakes that you do. You know, I see it's the variety of cakes. Yes, so... Um, there are some seasonal flavors that I have here today, so I like to rotate and come up with different things. So I've got a classic red velvet as well as a fun cake that's Coquito, which is a Puerto Rican holiday drink that's got coconut milk, rum, nutmeg, cinnamon. So I've coupled that with coconut. I also have some bourbon brownies, um, a limoncello cake, so it's really, really, really citrusy. And um, so I branched, I didn't start out making vegan cakes, but I have added them to the menu because I feel like vegans should have good desserts too. And um, so yeah, I, I like to get creative and add new things all the time. So what about the health aspect of, of cakes? You know, 
Tell me some about this. So let's be honest. Nobody eats cake for their health, right? So I don't feel like getting a, a low-fat or a, a healthy version of cake is the way to go. Because when you want cake, you just want what you want. You do it in moderation, of course. And the last few years have been tough on us all. I say if you want to eat a slice of cake, go ahead, honey, eat a slice of cake. Be happy. You'll be fine. <laughs> so your business... Uh, it's in the capital region, you said, and uh, is it just all been in, in Troy? Um, basically, but again, from the website, I ship. So if I, I have lots of customers in other states, and I also ship to Canada as well. So anyone that likes what they see on the website can have their own very, very own cake from the business. Now, you haven't heard of us with the Hustle Mohawk magazine. We're in Troy. You oh, too, okay. right? Now, uh, do you uh, do you uh, sit up at the farmers market? Um, so, as a vendor at the store where I'm located, we have the opportunity to be included in the market. So, I've done pop-ups at the market a few times. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, okay. So, how is business? You know, around the holidays. Holidays are my busiest time. The winter holidays are my busiest time. Um, starting right now clear through New Year's. It's going to be very, very busy, but I, I look forward to it. I live for it. I love it. It's great. So how, how, how has this uh, impact your family? Um, so it's been positive overwhelmingly um, because I, I make my own schedule, so that makes me more available to be with my family as far as quality time. And I'm less stressed, like, yes, it's stressful managing a business. I'm not going to lie and say it's easy. But at the same time, I'm so much happier to be doing something that's creative and that I love to do that also takes care of what I need. So it's it's been great for me and my family overall. So why don't you uh, tell our audience the... uh website and where you located again yes so the website is great x bakeations b-a-k-e bakery.com and you can order from there anytime i ship to the 48 contiguous states as well as canada and i'm located um in the her love collection store at 195 river street in troy as well as the her love collection store in crossgates mall and it's a black business, y'all. <laughs> black woman owned and proud. All right. And thank you, Cheyenne. Cheyenne Summer. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is Willie Terry still here at the uh, Black Expo at the MVP, Most Valuable Player Arena. I have one of the vendors here at Black Expo, and her name is... Olivia Frimpong of Live Fit Fitness. All right. And how you doing, Olivia? I'm blessed. How are you? All right. And so, Olivia, tell us something about your business. So, LiveFit was established in 2019, and it is a fitness ministry and community uh, where my mission is to help bring a taste of Africa to the capital region. Um, I'm a licensed fitness instructor, and I'm from Ghana, West Africa, so it's just my little way of bringing the culture to the capital region. So, I have, I sell waist beads, I sell African cloth bonnets, fans, bracelets, you name it, I got it. I also have um, a company called Afrikinki, and where I work with Women's Cooperative in Ghana, where I'm from, and they handcraft all natural products like black soap, shea butter, shea oil. And it's just a little way of uh, me helping build the community and also helping people to use all natural products. And we're here at Black Expo, yes. you know. So how important it is for uh, people of color to have these businesses? 
Absolutely, it's very, very important. Um, this is my fourth time back at the Black Expo. It's been an amazing um, experience to be in the midst of such greatness and see all the different vendors that we have. And it's just nice to see the community coming together. Now tell me something, you say you're from Ghana. Tell me something, how you got started? You know, what motivated you to do this? I've always been proud of my culture. Um, growing up, you know, you would hear in school people, you know, with myths and false connotations about Africa. And me being from there, it was always my mission to negate those negatives. So um, it's always been something that's been instilled with me. I take great pride in my culture and my heritage. And so I just want to show the world what Africa's all about. How, how do your parents, how do your parents react to you owning a business? Oh, they love it. They love it. It's like... Were it's, they in business? Yes, they were. They were. Um, my parents own um, a mall back home, back home in Africa. And so I've, they've always instilled in me business-mindedness. Mind, so I think that's something that I grew up with. But they're very proud that I'm continuing on and sharing the heritage and, and culture. And what part of Ghana are you from? I'm from all over, but my father's from the eastern region, which is called Kofoidia. And my mom is from the Ashanti region called Kumasi. Kumasi, yeah. I've been to Kumasi. Yeah, I've been to Ghana. Yeah. Uh, and you got, uh, I'm going to look at your belt here. You got a bag. Yes, I have a little waist bag. And this is what? Authentic, I, I know. authentic Kente cloth. Yes, 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 yes. Just tell us a little about the Kente cloth. So the Kente cloth is a, um, it's a combination of different beautiful colors symbolizing our heritage and our culture. Um, Ghana is, is, is known for um, kingdom seas and chieftain seas. And so we like to wear Kente to symbolize the richness and the culture of the, of the country. So are you passing this culture on to uh, your relatives? Or? Absolutely. My children all, you know, even though they were all born here, they have been instilled with the Ghanaian, you know, principles and culture. And, and you know, it's my, you know, it's my, my, my vision and purpose that, you know, that will continue on. Right. And I see you got your hair. Oh, yeah. You got to represent from head to toe. Even my shoes are made out of Kente cloth. Right. So. Yeah, I know when we went over there, to, when I went there, you know, one of the things that we all want to get a piece of was the Kente cloth. Yes, yes, but yes. It was expensive at that time. Yep, 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 yep. It's a beautiful piece to have. Absolutely. All right. Well, how's business going? It's going well. It's going well. You know, educating people, that's like the most number one important thing. So, you know, it's been, it's been a blessing to share about the history of some of the pieces that I share. So it's been great. Oh, so when you kind of tell them that, they, it's a, you talk, talk about the history, too. Absolutely, absolutely. I can't sell things without, you know, informing people and giving them knowledge on what they're buying. So, yeah. So, so how do one uh, get in touch with you? So I'm all over social media. You can contact me, Live Fit, on Instagram, Facebook. On Instagram and TikTok, it's official Live Fit. I'm also at Live Fit Waist Beads on Instagram and uh, so, uh, TikTok as well. And on Facebook, Live Fit. All right, thank you. Thank you. And uh, good luck. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Willie Terry from the Black Expo. Live Fit will be part of our People's Health Sanctuary Open House on December 3rd from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. So look forward to seeing you there. Our next story showcases more local businesses, this time from Andrea Cunliffe at the Choi Farmer's Market. She walked through the market to talk with some of these local vendors about their offerings for gift giving this holiday season. Saturday at Troy's Farmer's Market. 
What a place to buy gifts. Oh, my gosh. Everyone else is shopping in big super stores and malls, but the best stuff is right here in Troy. And we've got creative creature designs, jewelry, earrings that are just very individual. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you today? Really good. What's your name? My name's Brittany. Brittany? Yes. And these things are your creations? They are. Unique novelty earrings. My unique creations. Awesome. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about what the process is to make these. Well, I make earrings out of laser cut brass, uh, polymer clay, and resin. How would you, how would how, you describe Well, them? we have creative creatures, basically. We have aliens, we have Sasquatches, we have all the unique stuff. One that says ho, ho, ho. Ho, 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 tis the season. <laughs> And then butterflies and fairies, trinkets. What are these? What are these symbols here? Oh, those are tarot cards. Oh, tarot cards in mm-hmm. your ears. Yes. <laughs> here's a sun. What is this? This is like a rainbow. And here's dancing fish. And ooh, solar things. Amazing. And they're yeah, they're quite reasonable. I thought they were gold at first. They're not gold. No, they're brass. And it's all made in Troy. Thank you, Creative Creature Designs. Thank you. See you again. Bye. Is this yours? My phone? Is this yours? (laughs) My work, yes. Hi, I'm from Hudson Mohawk Magazine from the Sanctuary for Independent Media. Are you here in in Troy? Yes. Tenth generation Trojan. Oh, my goodness. Amazing glasswork here. Thank These you. wine glasses are superb. Are you a glassblower? Yep, yep. For where do you work? Uh, I just have a small studio. Just been working since I was 15. Really? Yep, yep. 1998. Wow, but where is your studio? Uh, I just have a small studio in my garage. In your garage? Okay, yep. fine. That, that works. Yep, for sure. Oh, I love these little icicles, glass icicles. They're beautiful. What's the name of your, for your uh, company? It's Adam Parsley Glass Studio. Um, yeah, these are amazing. And they have Christmas ornaments. And oh, are these yep. pendants? Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about how you started blowing glass and why this is important. Uh, when I was 15, I you know, was already into a bunch of different types of art. And always was painting and drawing and sculpting. and uh, Anything I tended to like try, I was could figure out generally but the only thing and we remember what year it was and how old I was specifically because my dad remembers having to drive me there because I didn't have my license yet so they would let me play with fire and blow blow glass but I couldn't drive a car (laughs) so we did that for a while and then um, started taking classes at Corning and evolved the style and I say it's like being a dangerous child. You're blowing bubbles and playing with fire all day. <laughs> and you have two children sitting here. Are they yours? Yeah, they are. Oh, my goodness. They're into it. They want to play with fire, too, but uh, I want to start them out. I do the origami crane ornaments. I'm trying to trying to get them to, to learn all the steps by heart, but I'm pretty sure they know there's, there's math involved, <laughs> so they, <laughs> they resist. Okay, yeah. if you were to describe, like, so they could see through words sure. how would you describe your work um, these beautiful things here. <laughs> what, what I tend to try to focus on is simplicity like clean lines so so that leaves the focus on the variances in color I like to play with color and mix color and I was always drawn to like doing super technical stuff so think clean lines 
thoughtful design, but almost like looks like it wasn't that hard to make. You know, if somebody comes up and they, they think it was like oh, that's easy, easy, if that's easy, then it means I did my job well. It means it, it looks it looks like it just grew. Natural. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Your name? Adam Parsley. Parsley. Adam yep. Parsley. Okay. Well, are you here every Saturday? Or? Every Saturday I do the indoor market up until Christmas. And in the summer I do the farmer's market. My friend Anique has a jewelry store right on the monument. And I set up with her. So Good for you. Well, we'll see you around. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to shop in Troy. Thank, Thank you. Katie Nair of Katie Nair Jewelry. I make design and make everything here. They're just amazing. Can you Thank tell you. me if you were to describe them to someone, how would you describe it? Oh, um, are they leather? Are they cloth? Oh, it's like something from deep long ago that's stirred up from many continents. It's just sort of blended all together. It glass leather, lots of beads. It's jewelry that is sort of a celebration of humanity through time. Wonderful. There's there's like cords. It's a ton of little teeny seed beads. Little beads? Yeah. So these big necklaces I've, I've created with thousands of seed beads that I count and then I coil them around a form to create a solid piece. And what are these amazing cobbles? These are, um, am, this is an ammonite fossil, which is 115 million years old. And what about these these pieces here? They're brass. Um, yeah, I use they? I use um, metal pieces that have been made in different places around the world. Like this is a handmade cone from Indonesia. This is a piece from Turkey. There's some stone work as well. Yeah. And these bracelets are divine. They're yeah, really um, nice. They're leather. leather. Are they leather? Cork for the vegans. Oh. <laughs> Vegan jewelry. Yeah. They're really, really beautiful. <laughs> and you're here in Troy. Yeah, I live in Troy, and I'm at various craft shows uh, every week. So okay. I'll be here at the market in a couple weeks. What is the name of your... Yeah, I'm Katie Nair Jewelry. Wonderful to meet you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, I see people carrying this. Yeah, that's eucalyptus. Big bunches of eucalyptus. Yeah, and that uh, it's not native to this area. It takes the longest for us to grow of anything that we grow. We start the seeds indoors in February and then uh, plant them outside around May, and then they're not ready to harvest until end of September, early October. So we have them for a month or two, and they're really hardy. They smell really good. A lot of people hang them in their showers. Oh, what a good idea. Yeah, but if you go to Southern California or Hawaii or you know Costa Rica, they, they grow naturally there, and they grow into these massive trees, but because the winter gets too cold here, we have to restart them every year, so it's kind of a special, special product in this. And area. you have some wreaths. These are fabulous. What is this? Thyme? Yeah, is that a wreath of thyme? That's lavender, actually. Oh, you yeah. can see how observant I am. Well, they're both herbs. <laughs> oh, it smells nice. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we've got some all-season wreaths. They're dried, so they're they last over a year. Who does all this um, arrangements? Um, my boss, Bernadette Kowalski, they're all her designs. And then we have a crew of guys on the farm who, who do all of the uh, actual work putting them together. She teaches them. And, yeah. So they're grown locally and we, manufactured locally? Yes, we, exactly. We grow all the flowers and we make our uh, dried arrangements out of them. They are really remarkable. Yeah. So what's the name of the farm? Or the this group? is the River Garden Flower Farm out of uh, South Cairo, New York. These are amazing. They're like bridal bouquets. They're really beautiful. Yeah, people use them for weddings and different events and or just to or just to have casually around the house. 
These are just a pleasure to look at. Thank you. Appreciate they last forever, though, don't they? They last over a year. They last a long time. Don't brush up against them. Exactly. Yeah. And they're fine. <laughs> Gosh, you know, you could put them over your a mirror, over your fireplace. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of options. And I always like to put them on the back door as it faces in the house oh, so that idea. it just makes you feel warm and cozy. Absolutely. And your name is? My name is Max. Hey, Max. Wonderful to see you. Thank you so much. That's Wonderful. Hi. Hi. I'm at Muggsy's Barkery. Is it in Troy? We don't have a store. Um, the owner makes everything out of her kitchen in East Greenbush. These are all really healthy biscuits for dogs. Yeah, cookies. Human grade, organic, all that kind of stuff. Small batch. Have you ever eaten one? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're actually pretty good. They're a little bland, but yeah, well, they yeah. like a lot of spice too. Exactly. Do you have no sugar. Dog? I'm going to just do a quick rundown. You have pumpkin spice pup cakes. They're not cupcakes, they're pup cakes. Oh, you do a, a biscuit with CBD oil. Yes. It's good for anxiety, joint health, even helps with epilepsy, too. Ah, brilliant. Then you've got a packet of 12 Muggsy's Mix. Yep, apple cheddar bones, uh, pumpkin paws, peanut butter and banana, little shaped dogs, and then peanut butter and carob cups. Well, this is terrific. This would make a great gift if you go to someone's house who has a dog. I believe the owner is making some Christmas goodies, and we're also doing the Christmas market on Sundays. That's 11 to 4 here at the Troy Atrium. Thanks so much for your time, and your name is? Cassidy. And it's Muggsy's Barkery. Yep, that's it. Great. Thanks. See you again. Bye. (laughs) This has been Andrea Kendler for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine at Holiday Time at Troy Farmer's Market. And besides the Saturday market at the atrium, there'll be a market on Sundays in December on the 4th, 11th, and 18th this holiday season. Over 65 vendors, all with unique handmade goods. You're sure to find the perfect gift there, I'm sure. Maybe? And that's our show. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Andrea Cunliffe. And I'm Jacob Boston. Our engineer is Sina Bazila-Hickey. We thank all our volunteers who made today's episode possible. Um, today, we had an all-star cast of Mark Dunley, Cena Bazila-Hickey, Willie Terry, the amazing, incomparable Andrea Cunliffe, and yours truly, Jacob Boston. Um, this program covers stories of social and environmental, ju- environmental justice, produced by the community, for the community, and is supported by independent donations. If you value independent media, consider a gift of a monthly donation as a sanctuary sustainer by going to mediasanctuary.org. And we want to hear from you. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Media Sanctuary, or join us on email, or send us an email on HMM at Media Sanctuary. Tune in weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. For full episodes and individual stories are available on demand at our website and on your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you listening. So until next time.